Joe, have you heard the phrase time under tension? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Drew. Right. Yeah, from so, working out, basically. Working out. So one of the things that I like are these phrases that then, like, leaders will take and throw into, like, then, like, leadership comparisons. So one of the things I've heard is, like, you know, with muscle growth, time under tension equals growth. Right. And then it's with leadership, it's no different. And if you think about it, like, I, it's, a re- it's actually a pretty cool analogy. If I'm working out at the gym... And I'm, I'm putting my biceps under a certain amount of tension, then time under that tension is going to directly impact an equal growth. And then in leadership, we think about resistance and struggle the same way. If I'm under tension, it's growing me as a leader. And there's so many different like ways to say the time under tension thing, but that's the sure. one that I've heard the most often. Yeah, like coal and diamonds. and There you yeah. go. If you press, there you go. Under I love pressure. that. Like under pressure. So if you, you can't have a diamond without putting the right amount of pressure on it, there's ones with wine, right? So with grapes, you have to crush the grapes in order to build wine and all that stuff. So there's tons of that stuff. It's mm-hmm. used all the time. I think all of that is complete and total BS. My favorite, like, conventional wisdom thing that I always like to disagree with is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And like, Cancer could just kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Might not kill you, but yeah. stronger. If you get through it, you're going to be pretty skinny. <laughs> Have you seen Breaking Bad? <laughs> this is Hope After Hurt, a Yes podcast. We talk about church hurt, stories of disappointment, and the future of community. With the goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building a better leader for generations to come. Join this community created for healing, hope, and heroes. Now your host, a pastor's kid who has served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world, Drew Barker. Let's go. It's the Yes Podcast where we're saying yes to what God has next. I'm Drew Barker. I'm here with Joe Woolworth. And man, we are so pumped about this episode. We did talk back in episode one of season two that we were going to have an organizational psychologist on this episode. Our guest ended up getting pretty sick for the time of recording. And so we're going to push that to the next upcoming episode. And so today we're doing a little bit of a shift. I'm going to share a story with you. We're going to talk about resistance. We're going to talk about what does that mean for us personally? What does that mean for uh people who are in leadership, how do we gauge resistance? How do we read resistance? And then how do we respond to resistance? I think this is going to be a great episode. I do want to remind you, if you're getting any kind of value from this podcast, I just want to encourage you, don't only like it, don't only review it, but would you share it? Would you share it with somebody that you think could gain some encouragement from this series? Joe, one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is just reading resistance. How do we not just go through resistance, but how do we really understand it? How do we read it? And I've got a great story about resistance, but before we get to that, I was just curious in, in your experience with ministry, or maybe I could just say anything in life, but if we were to dive into ministry specifically, would you say that you've experienced a good amount of resistance? Yeah, probably no more than most, but yeah, absolutely. And I think like you were saying before, that idea of conventional wisdom or like time under tension makes you stronger. Or like you hear stuff like, hey, if your plan isn't working, change direction, try something else. Right. And I look back on like when I was in a position of leadership in the church, 
And sometimes I was just wrong and I just needed to stop it. Like it right. wasn't like just keep going. Right. It was like, no, you're you not right. The resistance you should listen to people that are telling right. you you're wrong <laughs> and you should stop that. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's fascinating how many times we get into these spots of having challenges and barriers in our way. And it seems like whoever's around us at the time or even just the season we're in personally dictates how we respond to it. And so that's really what I wanted to talk about today. And hopefully in the story that I share, we can learn some things that I've learned, some good decisions I made, some bad decisions I made, and how we can all grow from it. Several years ago, I head down, I moved my family down to the Charlotte area and we're going to launch essentially a church. Now it wasn't marketed that way. It was more of a, we're going to launch a contemporary service. We're going to like within another church. And it was so unique because this church had an incredible property, like many, many acres. And on the back part of the property set this empty gymnasium. And so the thought was, we're still going to have kind of the traditional vibe church, but we want Drew to come in to this empty gymnasium, take $300,000 and nine people and start essentially a contemporary service, but we're going to call it something different. We're going to market it different. Like it's going to be its own thing. The only really consistent thing and similar thing is that the pastor who preaches at the traditional service will come over and preach at the contemporary service. Outside of that, everything's different. And that's what they wanted. That's how North Point started. That's how, is that how North Point started? Really? Yeah. Kind of the same thing. The sun started a contemporary. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Service. There you go. So it was along the same lines. And in that you have the typical scenario, right? Where everybody sounds like they're on board and that's how it always starts. Everybody likes the idea of change until you start changing things. And everybody likes the idea of growth until they realize like, what it actually takes to get there. And yeah, I always like to think of that as people aren't being real with their yes. I think about it in terms of sales. If I'm pitching an idea, hey, would you buy this thing? And I pitch somebody something I'm going to do. They're like, yeah, I would. That's a lot different than will you give me money now? Oh, that's a good point. Because that's a whole different thing. It is. And it's very much <laughs> like that. And you're right. It's, it's like, it's do not... I think your idea is good? Do I believe in you? Sure. I think you're right. a smart guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Can I have some I of can... your money? No, no you no, cannot. I, can't. I don't yeah. want that. Exactly. <laughs> so I'll encourage you. I just won't necessarily back you. <laughs> I think that's a good point. That's a good correlation. So here we go. We're my wife and I, we moved down, don't have any kids. We're we're going all in here. We really believe that God sent us there. We still believe that. We know that God was leading this. And we get down there. And so here, let me just talk about what happened from the angle of where I was at that age. And then I'll backtrack and discuss what we can learn from that resistance and how maybe I could have tried to read it a little better. So right out of the gate, I get down there. There's nine people at an interest meeting and we're like, hey, we're going to launch. This was in, in September. And so from September until the upcoming May, it was just like plans and building and all that stuff. But then in May, it was like, hey, we're going to launch this upcoming September. And currently we have nine people. So it was interest meetings. It was all this stuff. And it was fun. It was exciting and all these things. But once it started getting serious, once there were interest meetings, once there were changes happening, once people saw lights, once people heard music, once people saw that I was coming with all this new energy and passion and really boldness because I didn't know any better and my faith in God is just extreme. And so I'm like, 
talking about all these things that I believe are going to happen. We're going to have a, we're going to have a challenge with parking. We're not going to have enough parking spaces. Where are we going to park people? And there's people like, dude, you got nine people at an interest meeting. And I'm like, you don't understand. I've seen it. I'm telling you, God's going to supply and all this. And long story short, we did end up having a problem with parking, but we'll get there. We start doing all these things. And so here's some of the examples of resistance. All right. And some of these will sound a little extreme. And some of these, I bet there's a bunch of people that have been part of launching a new contemporary service Uh that are going to be like, Oh, resistance. Really? You think probably (laughs) right. And of course you have the verbal exchanges, right? Let's not discount the lady who approached my wife in the parking lot and just let her have it and told her verbatim that I was the devil. Like your husband's the devil. Like literally, let's not discount that. I've never been called the devil. I've been called a snake. Have you? Yeah. That's. I would want to do a slippery snake impersonation for that mean. Like slippery snake. Oh my gosh. Oh (laughs) Lord. And and I did blippy last episode. You just did slippery snake. I think we're hitting our quota here. Yeah. And so let's not discount that. Let's not discount going to meetings with board members. Insulted my age. Insulted my intelligence. Insulted my experience. And then there was the note left on my car where someone put a piece of paper typed out on my windshield that I found one night after a student event that went into this long list of not nothing like that I offended them personally, just this long list of why everything I'm doing is not only wrong, but it's like unbiblical and the new music and the new sound and the new lights and this and that and the other and how I was going to destroy the church and destroy the community. And again, did you deviate from flutes and lyres? Yes. I stopped doing <laughs> handbells is what I did. That was the big one. I got yelled at for not doing handbells. I got yelled at for not allowing some lady to come seeing eye on the sparrow, his eyes on the sparrow at an Easter. Yeah, uh, do you ever just stop like, and think about how silly we get sometimes? We're churches? so dumb. Like we're so dumb. One of my sometimes. first jobs just out of Bible college, I needed to help out on the worship team. I was hired as a youth pastor. So first Sunday I'm there introduced, Hey, this is Joe. He's a new youth pastor. And I happened to play electric guitar. And so the electric guitar, they needed an electric guitar. Of course. They so did. I thought <laughs> later I found out I was the first person to ever play an electric guitar at this church. Oh, and we did geez. songs with the devil's distortion in it. So I turned on distortion because sure. I wasn't aware that this was groundbreaking, crazy stuff to do at this no church. No one informed you. It's, this is just how it is on the CD is what was going through <laughs> my mind. <laughs> By the way, listeners, CDs are these things we, yeah. used, to, <laughs> we used to listen to. Shiny orbs that used to somehow play music with lasers. And we rented videos from Blockbuster. Another dated reference. But anyways, continue. And then after the service, like some of the kids in the youth group were like, that was so awesome. And I was right. like, okay. And they're like, you're the first person to ever play electric guitar. And I'm like, what? And then really? it dawned on you. And then you had distort. What? I'm going to get some emails. Oh yeah. Which I did. Which you did. <laughs> Absolutely. You did. Cause it's different and nobody communicated it and nobody explained the why. Yeah. Yeah. I walked in this scenario. I walked into my office one morning. I always leave my door locked. This was the kind of church that everybody and their mother had keys to the church. Somebody had broken into my office and on my whiteboard, right in front of my desk, written, leave, you're the devil leave. Wow. That's cool. That's really good. It's a great way to start your Monday when you walk in oh at eight 30 in the morning and you're just told that. Did, did it one. leave you feeling weird or did you just laugh at all? Actually, this is where my personality was. I left it on my whiteboard the entire time I was there until finally after months, the pastor came in and erased it. Yeah. Cause well, he, he said felt he bad was for tired of it. seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
It just took him a while. He was like, that didn't work. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's perfect. He listens to this, too, so I can't wait till he hears that. I've got so many of these. But then there was a night that we were having rehearsal on a Thursday night. All the volunteers show up. We've put in all the effort to get the lights ready and the sound ready, and we've done rehearsal. And I hear from the sound booth, which was on the walking track above the gym, Drew, have you seen the whiteboard up here? I'm like, oh, geez. No, everything okay? You might want to come up here. So I walk up there, and it's a shot at our volunteers. Somebody wrote on the whiteboard. So there, He has had a whiteboard bandit. We had a whiteboard bandit, absolutely. And we know who it was. I'm not going to sit here and say anything. But anyways, <laughs> we know who it was. But they wrote on the whiteboard and said, uh, something to the effect, I don't remember like verbatim like I did in my office, but something to the effect of y'all are destroying the church and y'all come in here on Thursday nights. Like, it was very specific to volunteers, which is just incredible. These guys had worked all day, traveled to the church. Now they're serving and they get hit with that. We had people break into the, to the sound booth and unplug all the cords for lights and sound. I can't tell you the amount of things that I never said out loud and never told anyone and the amount of hours that I spent late at night and by late at night at 12, 1, 2, 3, 4 a.m. trying to get everything back together before Sunday. I can't even explain it to you. It was the most hostile, toxic, volatile place I've ever been. But it was just change is what the problem was? Yeah, so let's talk about that. Here's what God did through it. Because my attitude in that time frame was like, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to push through it. It was exhausting, but we did it. And here's what we did. We started with nine people. When we launched in the fall, we had 167 at our first service. Fast forward to four months later, we were running in the 230s. And to this day, that service that God and nine people built is what is sustaining this church. I couldn't be more excited for it. I am incredibly thankful for that season because my faith grew in, in just exponential ways. There's something about seeing an empty room turn into 230 people. There's something about not ever knowing if the words coming out of your mouth that God gave you to say are ever going to come true and then seeing it come true tenfold. There's just something about that. And so now I'm like, dude, if God gives me the words, I'm going to say it and it's going to happen. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. But we're going there because I just that's what he's done to me because I've just seen it and it's incredible. But I do think there are some lessons we can learn from me being just a young guy in ministry and pushing through all of that resistance. So here's what I would here's what I would want our listeners to, to understand is that as great as that season was for me. And as awesome of a time as all that resistance was, it was so challenging, but so great on the other side of it. We also had a pastor in the middle of all that have to step away because he couldn't take it anymore. We also had about 130 people end up leaving long-term because they couldn't take the attitude of some people anymore. And for me, as much as my faith grew and as great as it was, that was probably one of the toughest seasons for me and my wife because I was always at the church. I was always complaining. I was always coming home upset. 
I very few amount of times had like positive things to say about conversations I had with people. The resistance was unreal, bro. It was exhausting. So did a lot of good come from it? Absolutely. Do I think time under tension grew my leadership in that season? I would argue it made me more jaded. I would argue that my wife and I left that place having less hope for the church. And looking back, I think it's important for us not to just go, oh, I'm meeting resistance. And the Bible tells me that if I'm meeting resistance, God must have something for me on the other side. Yo, yeah, maybe. But don't just say something like that without spending time in prayer. Don't just launch into something you heard Bishop T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen or somebody say from stage that you have attached to. And when you get a flat tire on the way to work, you're like, God must have something for me. Nah, bro, you just drive and you got a flat tire. There ain't no, there ain't nothing going on there. Yeah. And so we'll take something like time under tension, leaders, I'm going to grow in leadership. You might be in a season where time under tension is going to kill you. And so that's why I hate these little like, one-off good liners, they preach so well, but it's absolute BS, bro, because here's why. Time under tension in a gym, sure, give me bigger muscles, unless the weight is too much, and then I'm injured. And you know what happens when you're injured? You can't lift anything. Yeah. Or to continue the analogy, you spend too much time under tension with bad form, your attitude's bad. Thank you. And now you've created permanent damage right now you can pick which one you are but you have to read the resistance yeah it's just not universal like you mentioned like the flat tire thing people are quick to blame the devil for a flat tire absolutely and then some people are like the lord just never give me more than i can handle so sometimes you just run over nail people yeah like like sometimes you're just living in a construction zone like i feel like god and the devil are up there like you no not me one me (laughs) yeah just a nail man (laughs) i didn't put the nail there (laughs) I, got, I didn't put the, the nail there. Got all the stuff going. Yeah, fell off this truck over here. They're building townhouses. I don't know what you want. It's fascinating. Sometimes we're like, oh, the devil did this or God did this. And what we don't realize is that they're, they might not even have to do anything because you're already running your own narrative in your head before you even associate or try to ask what's happening. And I think that's what we can do in resistance. And so I think personally, let's start at a personal level. Personally, it is your job. It is our job to go, all right, what season am I in and how much resistance am I willing to take on? What's healthy? Because time under tension equals growth is accurate if it's a healthy amount of tension. Or if you're doing the right thing. Or if you're, sure. I know I've spent time under tension in a ministry position before and I didn't do the things that I should have done. We're continuing the working out analogy. Like your muscles only really grow back if you have eaten well and sleep well. And given it time to rest. And take care of your body. Absolutely. Then the time under tension makes your muscles sure. grow. But if you just like work out really hard and then eat Twinkies and stay up late and stuff, yeah, like you're now you're just sore. Yep. Like you're just sore and yeah. cranky. Yeah. And you just want more Twinkies. No protein after, uh, <laughs> no pre-workout before. You're a mess. And this isn't a workout show, but at the same time. Good. I think we're on the brink <laughs> we're, of it. We're getting there. <laughs> the, but I've spent time under tension in a ministry position and didn't take care of myself and felt like I was that analogy. Like I was the guy that was just working out really hard all the time, but didn't sleep and ate like crap. So I just had the, you know, chicken legs and and a show for it basically is what I'm saying. And this is what I think we get into in ministry. 
So on a personal level, I think we get into my leader or somebody's told me like one of these great things, right? Like pressure builds diamonds and all that kind of stuff. And I guess the worst thing is if you go seek it out because of that terrible advice, I better be doing something dumb. If you're not doing something people disagree with, you're not doing it right. right. What's the line if the devil isn't messing with you? Maybe he doesn't know you exist. Like I've said that. What's the line from the Bible where it says, do your best to live at peace with all people? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Maybe we should just like start (laughs) quoting against it. And that's the thing, right? So I think you've got to get to a place where you're reading and understanding based on your priorities. So listen, if you're in a season where you're hitting resistance, don't be so quick to just jump to, I know I'm supposed to push through this, or this is too much to handle. I don't think that we're supposed to jump to either one. But I think through understanding our priorities and through prayer, we're supposed to realize and recognize, all right, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to the people around me? And what am I supposed to do? Because here are the three different seasons that I think we can get into. The first season is, I know I can get through this. Me and God got this. That's one season. I think there's another season where it's like, there's no way I can get through this alone and I'm going to need people around me. I'm going to need God and I'm going to need people around me. And then I think there's a third season where you're going, I could probably get through this. I just don't think I'm supposed to. And I think it's our job to read that and make those tough decisions. Because I'll tell you this right now, the amount of leaders that I've spoken with that have just had a kid and their family's growing and their responsibility needs to be there, but they've got this big, bold vision from God and they've got all this resistance in ministry and they're trying to do both. I just, I don't think that's the season you're supposed to be pushing through everything at church. I think that's the season you're supposed to be supporting your family. And I think ultimately this is what leads to leadership problems. And so personally, we got to read it. Now as a leader, let's talk about it from a leader perspective. It's now not only our job to read our own resistance, but now it's our job to read the resistance of others. So looking back to my scenario, all right, would I have done some things different? Absolutely. Would I have pushed as hard? Probably not. Because I realized that I couldn't have done that alone and I didn't have the right people around me. We had one other staff member that was about it. We had two other staff members that weren't about it. There was no unity. And when you don't have unity headed in a direction, of course there's going to be resistance because it doesn't even sound like you guys are on the same page. And so me and the lead pastor, we couldn't take it. So he left and six months later I left because they brought in this new guy who was like, you probably should go because he didn't want to do it either. And so we broke down and we broke down because we could justify the vision that God gave us. When God gives you a bold vision, guess what? You're going to meet the same level of resistance. I firmly believe that, but you might want to read the scenario you're in. And if it's unhealthy, then what you'll find out is that you'll push through all that resistance. You'll get to the goal and you'll go, I made it. And you're unhealthy and no one else is standing around with you. And then when you leave, guess what? Things go right back to the way they were. And so it's just, it's not a healthy environment. As leaders, we have to be recognizing what are our people's, see, like what was their last season? What's the season they're in? What's the season we believe God's calling them to? So I leave that scenario. I go to a new church. Now I'm exhausted. I feel like if I push something forward right now, I'm just like, that's all I've been doing. Like my back hurts. I've been, I've been at the gym doing squats and benches and all this heavy lifting and I, I can't do it anymore. 
I just can't do it. And I go to the next church and the first conversation the pastor has with me is, hey, over the next six weeks leading up to Easter, I need you to lead all this change and that because I want to be here by the time we get to Easter. Now, can I take responsibility for that, for not asking those kinds of questions in the interview? Absolutely. And I ask those kinds of things now. I just didn't know then. You just don't know what you don't know. I didn't know I was supposed to ask, hey, will you watch out for my mental well-being? <laughs> I didn't. Will you make sure I'm not like spending too many days in the gym back to back? I didn't know I should ask all that. And what ended up happening is the first six weeks I was at this new church, I did all the same damage that I did at the last one in six weeks. Hey, church is fun. Yeah. And so as leaders, we have to have a responsibility to not just have these like one-liner responses. When people come to us and they say they're tired, when people come to us and say they're exhausted, when people come to us and say, I just don't know if I can do it anymore, it's not our job to look back at them and pretend to have empathy and go, I'm so sorry you feel that way, and then respond with pressure builds diamonds or time under tension equals growth. To, to, to that, a blanket statement like that, to that I say, you're wrong. Word of caution, as you get older and you've had some experience with stuff, you just see stuff in hindsight that you're like, oh, that seemed pretty obvious at the onset. When it comes to something like changing something about a worship service or something, I've seen a lot of like older pastors who should know better give the task to younger, inexperienced there you guys. Go. Talk about that. And because they know it's hard yep. and they know it's going to cost. Yep. And they've tried every way. And I don't think they're malicious. Like this will teach them a lesson. It's no. just, I don't know what else to do. And either. they just don't want to be the bad guy. anymore. Maybe you can figure it out. Yep. And oftentimes in these situations, when it's something about changing a worship thing, everybody actually wants the same thing. Yep. If feelings get hurt, they get hurt about the way that it happened. What is it that Craig Rochelle says? It's not, it's not that people don't change. It's that they don't like the way you try to change them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's very true. I think of trying to do anything that changes a worship service or even just silly stuff. The announcements are here or we didn't have an electric guitar before right. or uh, we've never done offering online. Yeah. This guy leads from a piano. How dare he? Whatever. Fill in the blank. Whatever's different in your organization. Usually the real bottom line is we want to attract more people. Yep. And what we're doing probably isn't as effective as we want it to be. Sure. And then what happens is people get silly and they write dumb stuff on whiteboards. Yep. Because everybody's all of a sudden an expert on the right way to do it. It's unbelievable. Nobody knows what they're doing, man. Nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just trying. It's guess and check this yeah. stuff. I was in church programming for a long time, the weekend service side of stuff. And I always took great comfort in SNL. And I'll tell you why I always took great comfort right. in it. People would always be like, they'd say stuff like, like after the 90s and when it was an election, it's like, yes, SNL just isn't funny anymore. And in my mind, I'm like, these are actually probably the highest paid, funniest people in America. Yeah. And the guy that runs the show, Lauren Michaels, would was notorious for just cutting stuff at dress. It didn't matter if it was a terribly gifted, really funny guy sure. that had been funny other times. If they didn't laugh, Lauren had cut it. Yeah. Because, and he said, comedy's binary. You laughed or you didn't. And this is the way a lot of church programming works. Like, we have a good idea, like, this could work. We have a vision of it, and we're like, what we're doing is we're visualizing it working and totally. hoping that it's going to work. And then we try it. <laughs> and it's, whoo. But then we don't have the guts to be like, didn't work. Let's stick with this until everybody agrees. <laughs> we're going to try this for six weeks. We're not going to tell anybody. <laughs> and then we're going to assess. 
And then the other thing that uh, I get a kick out of, and we've all been there and we've all tried this, but yeah. we've all tried to boil the frog. Oh, like, yeah. All right, we bought $300,000 in lights. Week one, we're going to turn one of them on. Yep. We're just going to slowly build. And we forgot that Americans only come to church once every six weeks. It's, and we're like, dang, yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. We introduce a new song and then six weeks from then are like, hey, nobody was into it. <laughs> it's because you played it once, man. Nobody knew. I don't know what the answer is, but I think it has a lot to do with trying to understand opposition a lot better. Yep. If somebody is disagreeing with you, ask them why. They won't know why the first right. time. They'll try to articulate it, but it won't be why. Yeah, I think I hear what you're saying. And then ask again, and then give them some time and ask again. Sure. There's that great, I don't know who came up with it first, but it's basically somebody said, if you really want to know the actual reason somebody hates something, you have to ask them why seven times. Oh. Uh, okay. Simon Sinek quotes this guy every once in a while. Well, then I probably when, agree with it. In discovering your why, like you need to ask yourself seven times. And I think the analogy is since we're now a workout show, let's say you want to lose weight. Why? Totally. I want to look better. Why? I want, I don't know. I just want to feel better. Okay. So confidence. Why? I don't know. Cause my job's not going well. Right. I don't so want one thing going after like, layer after like layer why? After layer, right. Because if I'm healthy, then I, I don't know. I won't die at 60. Like other people in my family why because i want to see my kids grow why because i don't know i want to want to leave a legacy i want to be around. there it is oh, so it's like, oh so if you oh, want to leave get a legacy, there there's your why and go work out that's why you work out so when you want to go to the gym you're like oh you don't want to die and you want to be here when your kids grow up not right. like now you, you want to look motivation. better because right. like i'll eat a donut if it's 100 <laughs> or six of them but i think the analogy there is like when somebody is like man i just don't like that yeah like, it's going to take work to figure out why they don't like it. Yeah, and the complaint is usually embedded in a hurt, a misunderstanding of some kind. And, and it's very rarely ever that actual thing. Yeah, it's always a deeper, it's always a deeper rooted thing. And I'm with you on that. And if it's not, keep your opinions to yourself, people. Yeah. If it's no deeper than, like, I wish that was quieter. Yeah, just golly. We, you know, we, I think we've done a show, on the, an episode on this one already, but man, we could launch into that one just real bring quick. bring earplugs. You know? But here's the, <laughs> so, yeah, that's why we have them at the door for you. I think that's what's so valuable and important about really taking time to read the situation you're in. There are a lot of people right now, and you may be listening to this going, I'm one of them, but there are a lot of people right now that are going through an incredibly difficult season of resistance. And hear me, I'm not saying that you need to keep going. And I'm not saying that you need to quit. I'm just saying you need to read your situation. And you need to take time and stop listening to everybody else around you. Because I think they mean, I think leaders mean when they say time under tension builds growth. I think leaders mean when they talk about words like grit. It's one of those things that's true every once in a while. So I can say it. Yeah. In all situations. Like it's that the old broken clock is right twice a day. Exactly. So I'll just, it is true sometimes. It is true sometimes. (laughs) So I'll say it from stage and then we'll do it. I want you to really, I I, I guess what I would hope you would take from this episode is that you would really spend some time in prayer and thought on what kind of season you're in and where your priorities need to be. Because I'm telling you, there's seasons where the resistance you're facing, you need to push through it. And it is growth and, and it is God calling you to something greater and your faith and your stamina and your boldness and your strength will grow in unbelievable ways and your reliance on God, your closeness with God, man, it will flourish in those moments. 
But I think there's other seasons where we stick in the resistance because our leaders are telling us to. And we don't realize that we're actually not in a good environment and we're not set up for success. And it's in those moments that we need to have the maturity and the understanding to say, you know what? I just don't think this is a good situation. And the resistance I'm noticing is hurting me. It's hurting the people around me. It's hurting my family. It's, and when you're in that scenario, you got to start figuring out a way to get in a better environment. That's just what I've experienced. That's what I've seen. And um, I hope that's helpful. Let's take a break. TDF Furniture carries over 50 brands at prices 60 to 95% off suggested retail. From outdoor sets to dining room tables and recliners, they have it all. See something you like? Load up a truck and take it home the same day or schedule for delivery. Special financing options are also available. Quit overpaying and visit one of TDF Furniture's five locations. Learn more at tdffurniture.com. Hey, we're back again. We're talking about reading resistance, and I want to give you some things to think about. I want to give you some action steps, some things to do. That's like a good pastor, right? Pastors give yeah. action steps Here's at the, the end, two, right? Two action so like steps. they talk to you for 25 to, I don't know, nowadays, 105 minutes. minutes. Yeah, <laughs> 55 minutes. And then at the end, it's, hey, let me give you this. We'll take this with you. So mm-hmm. take this with you. Here we go. I want to give you some suggestions on how to read your resistance how to read the season you're in and how to get better. So here's number one, right? Because we always want to get better. So here's number one. In reading your resistance, you need to take an assessment of the situation you're in. And here are all the things that you need to assess. And you can write this on a sheet of paper. You can put this on your notes app in your phone. But at the very minimal, you need to think through this multiple times. The first thing you need to assess is what the resistance is. Where is it coming from? And so that means really diving into like, all right, when I'm feeling resistance, I feel like it's coming from these areas and either it's going to be multiple areas or you're going to find out, man, it really is just one area of my life, but you need to figure out where your resistance is coming from. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a place, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a relationship. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to take an assessment of your resistance. After you take an assessment of that resistance, you then need to take an assessment of yourself. So this is still point one. This is still what your action step is, point one. You're going to take an assessment of your resistance and then you're going to take an assessment of yourself. When you take an assessment of yourself, you're going to ask yourself, how do I currently respond to this resistance? So an example might be you take an assessment and you go, man, all the resistance that I have right now is coming from my job. And then step two, you're like, or step, I guess, part one B is how do I then respond to this resistance? And you're like, oh, I get really ticked off. I listen to old style Lincoln Park on my way home. And when I get home, I yell at my spouse. So that's bad. That would be bad. But you need to assess those things. So step one is I need to take an assessment. Where am I getting resistance? Here's step two. You need to create a healthy environment for someone else that you honor and respect and trust to give you feedback. Yeah, I think it would be worth not glossing over here that if you're experiencing a lot of resistance and you're having a hard time at work and you're bringing that stress and stuff home, you're not super easy to talk to. You're not at all. And it's probably going to take some convincing 
for you to talk to your spouse and be like, no, I really want you to tell me. They're really you know, honest. Like, we've talked about it a hundred times. I think your job is killing you. And you just go, I told you we talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> I told you to be honest. <laughs> That's a valid point. And so this is, and hopefully what this does is it, it's just going to, something's going to rise to the top yeah. throughout this. So you've taken an assessment of what's causing resistance. You've taken an assessment of yourself and now you're going to step outside your comfort zone and you're going to hand that authority. Yeah. If you're married, I would very much suggest your spouse. If you're not, you're going to find a close friend and you're going to give them that authority. Hey, what have you seen? Yeah. What have you seen in me? I feel like this is what I'm experiencing. What would you say? And you might find out like, oh no, I didn't even know. Somebody might be like, oh, I didn't even know you were going through that. And you're like, oh, I guess I hide it. Or Somebody might be like, yeah, you're a grade A jerk. <laughs> I don't like being around you. And like you said, I think you should quit your daggum job. Or I think you should quit this relationship. Or I think you should quit doing this. That is a real thing. And you got to be ready to hear that and go, okay, and not get fired up about it. Yeah, I think maybe a good suggestion might be to model like how you really want them to say what you want to find out from them is how your actions make them feel. So you could start with saying, hey, this is where I'm at with my job. This is how it makes me feel. And model that. Yeah. I feel like when I come home from work, these are statements I've said. Feeling behavior concern. That it's I all am here very, I'm tired and I'm already cranky. And then I come home and I feel like I wish that I was more present, but I know that I'm not. You could start out with a little sure. honesty there. Sure. And then they would be like, yeah. I, uh -huh. And then they'd be like, <laughs> you... <laughs> You feel like you're not involved? <laughs> Let me tell you what it is. <laughs> Let me tell you what it really is. No, you're exactly right. Look, in full disclosure, I think my wife and I have probably had five of these conversations. And here, here's the consistency. And this is great. When there's consistency, you can go, oh, now I've learned something about myself. Yeah. And now I've learned something about her being right, which is usual. And as somebody that's been through this, like you have, I'm yep. sure, sometimes you just learn that time under tension is you're a bad fit. Correct. Yep. You're a, and, you're a square, and square so now, peg in a round hole totally, scenario. Totally. And you think it's you being bold and stepping out and God leading you somewhere. And it's like, actually, you just made a bad decision walking in the front doors <laughs> and taking a salary. And they made a bad decision hiring you. And sometimes that happens. Like... I know that I still believe that when you're like, God's calling me here, I believe that you believe that. And I believe that God might be doing that. And I believe that God can honor that and bless that, whether it's the right move or not. I really do because he's just, he's sovereign and he loves us and he wants his kids to, to move forward and progress and grow. And so I think there's always going to be a way that he can move through you no matter what scenario you're in. But don't think for a second that there hasn't been in the history of ministry, just some guy that took a job and was a bad fit. And some guy that got hired that was just a bad fit. And now we're going, God called me here. I need to push through all this. It's like, maybe you just, maybe it's just a bad idea. <laughs> maybe it's just didn't work out. So that's step one, step two. And like I said, like my wife and I, when we've had these talks before, a lot of times she just brings up like what she sees down the road. Like, hey, what I see right now is you're like this and they're asking you to do all of these things and it's causing you a bunch of tension. And I just don't think long-term this is going to work out. And she sees things like that because she's on the outside perspective. So I think that's a great conversation to have. So number one, you assess the situation, you assess yourself and you then step two, uh, allow somebody else to assess it with you. And then here's step three. It's very bold. It's very out there. Okay. 
It's pray. You need to pray about it. Look, I know that you work for somebody, but they're not God. And I know that you serve a church, but they're not God. And I know the pastor gets on stage on Sunday and says some things that you write down in your little notebook and you're like, I heard that straight from God. He's not God either. God can speak through that man, but he's not God either. And so if you want to go to the source, go to the source and pray. I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with people that are in ministry and I go, tell me about your tension. They'll tell me. I'll say, what do you think? And they'll tell me what they think. I say that purposefully. What do you think? And they tell me what they think. They tell me what their leader thinks. They tell me what their wife thinks. They tell me what their friends think. And then I say, what does God think? I need to spend more time praying. What? Dude, start there. What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, you're going to trust the guy who pays your salary and needs you to show up on the weekends? That's the guy you're going to go to? He's going to run your life. She's going to run your life. Gosh, man, go to the source. Pray. So I know it's bold. I know it's out there. I know it's crazy for me to sit here and be like, hey, pray, but pray. And then one more little thing for leaders. An addendum, if you will. An addendum. This has nothing to do with the process. This is just one more thing with leaders, and I'll leave you with this. Stop giving crappy advice. If you're about to say something that sounds really good on your Twitter feed, cool. Go post it on Twitter. But in the moment, have some empathy and take some time to understand the season that your person's in. Because great sounding advice isn't always right. Sometimes it just sounds great. Yeah, I like to think of it like the trite things people say at funerals. They are nice things to put on a bumper sticker, but do they make anybody feel better? Oh, you mean like they're in a better place now? Yeah. Away from you. (laughs) It's like the implied meaning of that oftentimes. Jeez. Side note, do you notice how every single, maybe it's just me, but do you notice how everyone who dies is in a better place now? Like everyone? That just talks about how great the place we're currently in is, I guess. Isn't that amazing? Like everyone, Christian, not a Christian, good life, bad life, relationship with Jesus, not a relationship with Jesus. Everybody's just dead and in a better place now. That's tough to believe. (laughs) I I hate to laugh, but golly, man, that's tough to believe. I just don't see it. Those are tough funerals to do, by the way. Anyways, that was just a little side note for me. (laughs) It's just something I've been holding on to for years. That's just something I've had inside of me for a few years now that I've been wanting to get out of there. I've just gone to so many funerals and been like, are we sure that we want to say that out loud? I just, I know it's the right thing to say, but it might not be the right thing to say. Certainly might not be the accurate thing. I don't know. I hope they say it at my funeral though. Let's keep it going for a long time. I've always told my wife in this, but she's not taking me seriously. I want a moment in my funeral that's just so unexpected. What I want them to do is I want a regular coffin. Like the Harlem Shake or something? Regular funeral <laughs> stuff. But I want to, like I want the person who speaks at my funeral to be somebody who knows me and gets my sense of humor a little bit. Sure. And when it's over, I want them to split the coffin in half like a magic trick <laughs> <laughs> and just walk through it. <laughs> And then roll some music. Yeah. You've, you've <laughs> said this to your wife? You've yeah. said this? Yeah, she's, she's not oh on board. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's not on board. 
But maybe she'll get on board, and maybe she'll be the one who does it. They can fold me up. I don't care. I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) They can fold me up if they want to. (laughs) Could you imagine going to an open casket, walking by, and there's this guy, and he's got his legs folded over himself? What is happening? And then there's two sets of pallbearers, and it's just a lot easier for that. It is a lot easier. It's lighter, for sure. (laughs) One's going to be really heavy, and the other one's going to be pretty light. Sorry, I derailed your podcast. <laughs> I can't. I actually derailed it. I brought up funeral first. <laughs> Does anyone remember the points by this point, or do you think I should go back over it? <laughs> no, but really consider how you want your funeral to go, people. Yeah, <laughs> I w- that's step five. <laughs> step one, assess. Step two, bring someone else in on the assessment. Step three, pray. And step four, think about your funeral. <laughs> now you want to wow the crowd. Thanks for listening to Hope After Hurt. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. Join the Yes Community on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Yes Community. On Instagram at yesco underscore community. TikTok at Drew's Barker. And for show notes, visit the website at yes.transistor.fm. This show is produced, edited, and engineered by Podcast Carry. Thanks for listening.